0: I'm going to ask you to have your Bibles handy, but we're going to be jumping around in a little different passages today. Some of those will be up on the screen for you. So we're in a series that we started last week, and we're talking about the Bible and the importance of that and the process of discipleship and growing and following Jesus. And so if you weren't here last week, uh, we actually talked about what is the Bible and what kind of kind of lenses do we use when we come to the Bible that sometimes distorts what we understand of it. And so kind of started with that, Then today we're going to talk about Can I actually trust the Bible? The 66 books that that we have today, are they trustworthy? Next week, we'll talk about how do I approach the scriptures, which really is kind of questioning sometimes the agendas that we bring to the Bible that don't allow us to really know what's there. And then the final Sunday uh, in this month, we'll actually talk about how do I apply the Bible to my life. And so, so today we're going to talk about something that's—we're going to cover a lot of ground and a lot of information because, um, because what we're going to talk about is something that's important. It's not something that necessarily you might think about every day. But it's something that either you have struggled with in the past, or you just make an assumption that it's true, but you don't know why you assumed it's true. And that is, the Bible that you have in your hands, or on your phone, or that you access each week or each day, is actually trustworthy. It's actually real, it actually is is what it says it is, it's actually something from God because once you make a commitment to follow Jesus in a good way there's something that happens inside of you that that becomes a part of your understanding of Christianity is that the bible is true the bible is trustworthy But it's important for us to know a little bit why, and and honestly, we could go on all day long with what we're going to talk about, but really, we're just going to scratch the surface to give kind of a basic understanding of things that are true, that we can really understand the Bible and know that it's something that when I read it, I can trust its accuracy, I can trust that it's trustworthy, that it's true, and, and that the books that we're reading are the ones that God really intended for us to understand as a part of the Bible, And so we know that the Bible is comprised of 66 books. It's written over a period of about 1,600 years by 40 different authors. But how do we know that the Bible that we have is the one that we should trust well, there's a number of different things. In fact, we're going to walk through five initially, and there's more, but I want to start with these five that really kind of are things that, were, that are used as almost a lens to come to the scriptures and say, okay, for these reasons, we know that this is from God, that this is trustworthy, and these are things that didn't just come into being because what, what the church usually does is if we want an answer to, do, to something, what do we do? We come up with a committee and we all vote right? As though the popular vote is always the right vote to say, well, okay, this is what we really want to do. This isn't how the Bible came to be. It wasn't that somewhere down the line they had a committee and say, okay, those are in, those are out. No, it was over time, these are things that were true of the scriptures that came eventually to accept the 66 books in our Bible. And so I want to walk through those initially. So you can, you can jot these down. They'll be on the screen for you as well. So these are the things that are true of the the Bible, the books that we have in the Bible and why we know they're trustworthy. The first one is this. The books of the Bible are authoritative. What that means is throughout the Bible, the Bible within its own pages, its own words, makes this claim that it's from God. And you can see that throughout and that it comes from the authority and the inspiration of God. And you see that, in fact, in the Old Testament, you'll see numerous times in the Old Testament books, particularly the prophets, you'll see phrases like the Lord said to me or the word of the Lord came to me. So there's this internal reference to authority that goes beyond just the person who's recording or writing down the words Now, is that true of other books? Yeah, some people can say, oh, this is from God. But that's why we're walking through at least five of these things, that if all five of these are true, this is how this kind of evolved into the scriptures that we have today. Why is that important? Because if the Bible is truly from God, then that means it carries a weight of authority in your life that no other book carries. You might have read some really good fiction, some really good nonfiction. You might really enjoy reading, but there's no book that's going to claim absolute authority in your life. That when you read the pages, you know that there's something inside of you that is saying, "This is true. This is right. This is what I should live in my life." The Bible carries that weight. The reason that's important, and, and part of that, and understanding that in our, cu- especially our culture, the context that we live in today, is that the Bible is authoritative, but this is going to sound funny. It's not authoritative for everyone. Let me explain what I mean by that. It is authoritative for those who have chosen to give their lives to Jesus, because now we know and we understand, we'll talk about this, that internal evidence within inside of us that testifies that it's true. But beyond that, when you encounter someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you start quoting the Bible to them, they start looking at you and thinking, What? Just because you're a Christian and you have a Bible, you think that I'm going to believe that the Bible's true, that the Bible's reliable, that the, I actually believe in the Bible. And more and more in our, cu- our culture, that's not the norm. The, 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 the norm now is most people don't believe that the Bible's real or, fr- or from God or true. And we always kind of harken back to like, oh, remember the good old days when the Ten Commandments were, you know, they're stamped onto every courthouse across the country. And if we could go, no, that's not the truth. Because what happens when we go to that, people don't even believe that. They don't believe that's from God. And besides, if we go that route and say, here, here, use this book because it has great instruction for your life. And if you read it and just apply it, then everything will change, not apart from the Spirit of God being inside of you. Because for most people, outside of knowing Jesus, if you take the Bible and try to live it, you know what it becomes? It becomes the law. That's why, honestly, not to offend anybody, but if we just go, let's go back to the Ten Commandments. You can put Ten Commandments everywhere you want, but what is the Ten Commandments. It's the law apart from the grace of God and God's spirit living inside of us. If you don't think that's true, read through the Old Testament. How well did Israel do with the law? Not very good. They didn't do very well. Why? Because they kept trying to live out their own righteousness, and they couldn't do it. So we understand the authority is for those who said yes to Jesus. And by the way, just because someone says the Bible's not from God doesn't make it's not from God. Just as much as when someone says, I don't think God exists. God's not intimidated by that. Okay, he doesn't, oh no, they don't think I exist. He's not worried about that. So we understand it's authoritative. Second thing is that it's also prophetic. So understanding that there is something of those who wrote the scriptures that at the time that they wrote and then in their culture and in their day, those particular writers, there was something acknowledged about them that had a prophetic voice that came from the Lord. It wasn't always necessary that they were labeled as a prophet, but there was something about it, whether they were an apostle or a prophet or a leader, that something was acknowledged about them being some kind of voice for God at the time. And so there's this acknowledgement that even with the writers, it's not their authority or their writing. But it's god through them that are recording down the scriptures for us paul makes this his this own kind of reference to this in galatians chapter 1 Verse 1 he says paul an apostle not from men nor through man But through christ jesus the god and father who raised him from the dead So paul's saying listen, I am speaking on not my authority but on someone who's greater than me, on the authority of who Jesus is. And we see that throughout the Bible. So there's, that's true of the authors, those who humanly wrote it down for, for us for today. Third thing is that the books of the Bible are authentic. That means that they are consistent doctored, doctrinally, they are accurate, accurate factually, and they can be trusted. And the reason we will talk about this in a, in a little bit, about how we know that what we have is actually accurate, and it doesn't have, it's not filled with, filled with errors and mistakes, but, but throughout the, the, the history of the church and God's people, understanding and receiving what, what we know as Scripture, people throughout the centuries have always made sure that they do what we do today, which is we have to verify this is true. So going back even to the New Testament, when Paul was was actually speaking and preaching, there was a group of people we know in Acts chapter 17 called the Bereans. And the Bereans were known for one primary thing. They listened to Paul's teachings, and then they went to the scriptures of their day, which was the Old Testament, and they said, we need to verify what Paul is teaching is actually authentic. And they did, so they thought, okay, Paul is actually speaking the words of God because we studied on our own to know this is true. This is real. This is authentic. It comes not only from Paul, but this is coming from God because we can see this in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the same thing that we should do today when we look at the scriptures. Fourth thing, I know we're marching through these quick, but the fourth thing is the books of the Bible are dynamic. And What do I mean by that? There is a power within the context and words of scripture that goes beyond any other book that's ever been written, that changes us from the inside out. You can read a really good novel, you can read really good nonfiction, and it can be extremely inspiring to you, but it will never be transformational in your life. Because the scripture is what's transformational, because it's inspired by God, and in process with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, when you say yes to Jesus, it transforms us from the inside out. No other book does that. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes the Bible, or the words of Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only the inspired words of God in the Bible pierced somebody's heart, especially when they are coming to the Scriptures not with some subjective agenda that says I'm going to prove the Scriptures wrong, which, by the way, Thousands of people throughout history have done that, ended up coming to Jesus when they try to disprove the Bible. Others have found justification of why they don't believe it, but that's because they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. So understanding it's a dynamic reality. The Bible's different than any other book that you're ever going to pick up or read or encounter because of what God does internally inside of us. And then the the fifth thing, again, we're just scratching the surface, and this is really important is that these 66 books that we have are books that were actually received by early believers as, yeah, we believe these are from God. Now, there's a lot of other books outside the scriptures. We had a dialogue in our community group this week. What about the Catholic Bible? What about what's called the Apocrypha? What about there's other good writings? But when you look at the criteria used over time in the church, what was considered scripture, these other books don't hold up to the 66 books that we have. Again, we could get into a lot about that, but I don't have time to do that. But it's understanding that when we look at these, one of the things that always you have to do with one or the other or both is how do you know if something is real and authentic? You either go to the author or you go to the recipient. You can verify now, obviously you can't always go to the author, but if you can go to the recipient, which we know early on when the scripture is being written and those who are receiving it for the first time are verifying in their own right, saying, yeah, this is from God. So when you read through a good portion of the New Testament, we're reading epistles, which are letters written to different people, different churches. And when they received it, they weren't like, I don't know about this. We should have a committee. Does Paul really, is this really the Bible? No, they didn't do that. They listened to it and internally they said, yeah, this is from God. This isn't just Paul writing this. This is something beyond Paul. And that's why, that's why we have those books, because they were received. So it's just like if, if you're to, to write a letter to somebody, but you're not around, and that letter gets to the person you wrote it to, and somebody else picks up the letter and they want to verify it's true, they go to the recipient and say, hey, did this person really write this to you? Is this real? And you, they, you read yeah, I know what that person's talking about because it was written to me, and I know that they wrote it, and I know what they're making, what they're talking about. That's why we talked about last week, we'll talk about more. When we look at the scripture, we have to remember, the Bible was not written to us, the Bible was written for us. It was written to a group of people thousands of years ago, but it was written for us to understand today in its original historic context, then it gives us ability to translate it into today and then to apply it to our lives, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. So with those that, that ki- criteria kind of being... Used. Let me talk about five more things of why we should trust the Bible. What should give us confidence in this book that we have that this is really what God had for us? This is really His word for us and something that we should truly digest in our lives. The first one is this Why should I trust the Bible? Because it delivers what it promises. Now, do other books deliver what they promise? Sure, you can go get a diet book and you can read about it and you can apply the diet and it delivers on what it promises, right? But it's not the Bible because it doesn't hold all the other criteria that the Bible does. But the Bible delivers on what it promises that goes far beyond just modification in our life. The Bible, if applied and lived out with the Spirit of God living inside of you, will transform your soul. It will. And all of us have experienced that. If you know Jesus in one way or another, you've experienced taking something of Scripture, living it out in your life, and then realizing the spiritual or the, the internal dynamic of what's happening inside of you. For, for example, most of you are probably familiar with a passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, What well, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and right or just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anybody heard that verse before? Okay, what happens when you actually apply that? When I first read that verse, and I realized that, and I started to think, is that for real? That if I just speak what I am broken in, say my sin before God, confess that it's wrong, will this really happen to me? That I will actually be purified? That I will be considered righteous instead of unrighteous before God? That there will be something inside of me that will know that there's a difference now that I got my sin out into the open, and I confessed it? And I realized when I started doing that, I started experiencing the most incredible amount of freedom in my life that I have never had before. That this, this weight of guilt and shame and secrecy in my own sin was gone. Because now, and I didn't feel like every time that I came to church or every time that I encountered God, every time I went to open my Bible, I felt this, like, oh no. I felt the shame and this guilt inside of me because I know what's inside of me and I know I haven't let that out. But I no longer had that. No diet book can do that for you, okay? The Bible can. Because it's true. Because it's true. How about another passage I know I've gone to many times in my life, both individually and as a pastor of a church, in that is it's Philippians 4.19, which says that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We've heard that passage before. How many times have we quoted that when we look at our bank account and there's a negative, right? And we're like, okay, God, you said you're going to supply. So many times in my life, I have seen that happen. We're like, okay, the math doesn't add up here, God. I don't know how we're going to do this, but you said that you will be faithful to supply not what I want or I think I deserve, but you will supply what I need. You will supply what the church needs. And I'll tell you time and time and time again, God always comes through. Why? Because the truth in that passage has given peace to my soul that even when it looks like there's not going to be provision, there's still going to be provision. Because God has given me that peace because I know that the Bible is true and that delivers on what it promises. Second thing, believe it or not, that we should trust the Bible because the Bible is compatible with science. So many people today would say, ah, oh, jeez, really? The Bible, it's just... It's legendary, it's folklore, it's not scientific, it's simple-minded, it's really not something that you should even take seriously. But it's interesting that the Bible, its initial writing over centuries and centuries, came along before the scientific thought came before, before the language of science came along. And so what's interesting is in common terms that people can understand, the Bible actually referenced a lot of things that are scientific without using the scientific kind of verbiage for it. For example, a couple of examples. So in Job chap- chapter 36, verses 27 and 28, the Bible actually describes in very simple detail what we know is the process of evaporation that we see happen all the time. When it says this, for he draws up the drops of water, they, dis- they distill his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. That's evaporation. And that happens all the time. Not so much in Southern California as we know. We don't get the dropping down part on ma- mankind. Definitely not abundantly right now. But that's the process of evaporation. There wasn't the term evaporation when that was written, but it's, t- it's talking about a scientific process that's proven and observable, and we see it all the time. How about the fact that was the earth round or was the earth flat? For centuries and centuries and centuries, this was a debate, right? That's why, and, and by the way, it's, it's, it's all legend. People are like, yeah, when Christopher Columbus set out, they were afraid he was going to go off the edge of the earth. No, they had already figured out beyond that that there was this spheric kind of shape to the, to the globe. But where did that come from? Science verified it, but it was already embedded in the Bible so much long before. If you go to Isaiah 40, 20, verse 22, and Job 26, verse 10, those both referenced the, the, globe, the, the earth as a circle or a sphere. They knew that the, the earth wasn't flat because the Bible had said it so long before. And so when you go, and we could go on and on and on and on. So, so what the Bible does is if you, if you come to it objectively, it verifies what science is verifying naturally. It's all right there. And again, one of the things that you'll discover, and this is true about the Bible, is if somebody wants to disprove the Bible, and they really have no interest in really knowing if it's true or not, they'll find a way to disprove the Bible in their own mind. But if they come to it objectively and said, I really want to know, is this true or is this false? They will find out it's true. And eventually, they will find out there's an author, and the author's name is Jesus, and he'll change everything. And I've seen that happen in so many people's lives. Then there's a third thing. There's a third reason we should trust the Bible, and that is that its predictions are Correct. So this is what's crazy. The Bible has prophecy. It has knowledge that gets put into play before things happen. It makes predictions, not like a psychic makes predictions or Nostradamus, not all that hype. But it's prophecies that are specific about things that are going to occur in human history. Hundreds of those are written, were written about Jesus before he came. Specific details about his life and about what he would do when he was alive and the things that he would do to fulfill these prophecies. Hundreds of them, and he fulfilled all of them. But to make it kind of something that we can grasp, there's a, there's a, a philosopher and scientist who, uh, years ago, his name's Peter Stoner, he, he used some kind of some, some things with probability to kind of just demonstrate what, it, what is it like for someone to actually fulfill predictions? So he said, let's just take eight of the hundreds of prophecies that Jesus actually fulfilled in his lifetime. Let's just take eight of those. He said, what are the odds that that one person could fulfill those eight prophecies in history? What are the odds? And he said, and he factored it out, and he said, it is 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power is the probability that one person could actually fulfill eight prophecies. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? Hundreds. But here, let me, let me read this, because this kind of brings it like to reality. So he, this is how he put it. He said, If we take 10 to the 17th power, which is a ridiculously huge number, and we put that in the form of silver dollars, that many silver dollars, and lay them on the face of the state of Texas, they will cover all of that state two feet deep. Now, he says, we mark one of these silver dollars... And then we stir the whole mass thoroughly. Then we blindfold a man and we tell him he must pick up that one silver dollar. (laughs) The chance of him actually finding the right one is the same chance of a prophet predicting the prophets predicting eight prophecies that are accurate to one human being in human history. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's only eight. So when you think about that, you think, wow, maybe there is something to this Bible Maybe these people who are writing really weren't just writing their own writings. They're actually hearing from somebody higher than them, more powerful than them, someone who has more knowledge than them, being God himself. And then there's a a fourth thing of the truth and the the trustworthiness of Scripture, and that is its transmission is reliable. And that has to do with its copies and its preservation. And this is, again, this is what's crazy. So we'll talk about New Testament, Old Testament. So the New Testament. Right today, we have an estimate of about 5,000 ancient copies of the New Testament, dating back to as far as the 2nd second, second century, which is pretty, pretty crazy. 5,000. Other historical writers or philosophers like Socrates and Plato, we know those names. Of those ancient writings, there's only, of those, there's about 20 copies of some of those writers, of ancient writers, compared to how many from the New Testament? 5,000. What do you think is going to be more accurate? Us going back and understanding some of the Greek philosophers of that day or the 5,000 copies of the New Testament that we have? Just by volume, you're going to say, this is going to be more trustworthy. Why? Because there's more copies of it that can verify that it's true and that it's real. Then the Old Testament. This is what's crazy. The Old Testament, ridiculously accurate because the standard set by Israel for scribes and the recording of Scripture throughout human history is ridiculous. It's legalistic in a good way. So if a scribe is taking a manuscript of Scripture, he's copying a book of the Old Testament or through the whole Old Testament, and he's copying it, and he's going through that, and he makes one error he leaves off punctuation or he changes a letter by accident or he makes a mistake that it's not it's that that word's going to be unintelligible or unreadable what has to happen to that he has to throw it away can you imagine can you imagine if you're like you're writing the entire book of genesis and you're in genesis chapter 50 and you're at the last verse and you mess up you're like oh man i got to start over that's what it was like that kind of res- kind of re- r- ridiculousness, why? Because they valued the accuracy because they knew that this book was greater than any book of all time. So they honored that. And what is crazy is that this is, this is God, and we'll talk about this, God working through human history to verify the trustworthiness of Scripture. In 1947, there was a discovery of what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls in some caves around the Dead Sea. This is what's crazy. Those scrolls, when they, when they were discovered, they were a thousand years older than what we had currently as far as ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament. And when they went through and they compared the the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were a thousand years older than what we had, the accuracy was ridiculous. It's like 99.9%. And most, any errors they found were more of like a small little like punctuation change or nothing major would change any of the content of the scriptures that were found. It was probably scribal errors that they found. But A thousand years of making copy after copy after copy, and then you realize it's still accurate. So when you think about the Bible that we have, the 66 books that we have, we know obviously it was written in Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic, but translating what we have, it's absolutely trustworthy. Why? Because throughout human, human history, God has orchestrated a process that has kept it intact all these years. So we can trust it that way because of the way it's been transmitted throughout the centuries. And then finally this, and this is really for each one of us as a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is really the most important, and that is you can trust the Bible because you are a follower of Jesus. And let me explain what what this looks like. Even Jesus in his day had a Bible. His Bible was the Old Testament writings. In fact, it was the law and the prophets. That's what we know. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about how he looked at the scripture of his day. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and to 19, it says, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Listen to what he says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, listen, all of the scriptures that you have, none of that is going to pass away. It's all going to be fulfilled. It's all accurate. Jesus is putting his faith in the scriptures as we put our faith in the scriptures today, and it's trustworthiness. But beyond that, what is it that is different between you as someone who says, I follow Jesus with my life, and somebody who doesn't in the way that you approach the scriptures? The difference is, you, when you say yes to Jesus, God's spirit is deposited in you. He now lives inside of you. And because when you come to the scriptures, you have the Holy Spirit at work in you to help you not to somehow blindly accept something that's not true, but to dive deep into the truth that's there, that's dynamic, that some point, someone who does not have the Spirit of God living in them does not have the capacity to fully understand yet. And that's why, honestly, in our culture, quoting scripture to someone who doesn't know Jesus doesn't make any sense unless... They are honestly, objectively seeking the truth. Then guess what? The Holy Spirit's not working in them yet. He's working on them. He's working on their life and their heart and their mind, and they're leaning in. And Scripture makes sense, but if you're in a debate with somebody who has no interest in whatsoever in knowing if the Bible's true or if Jesus is God, then you're wasting your time. I've, I've gone the debate route, and I've seen very few people in the debate route who already have their mind made up ever have their mind changed to follow Jesus. Because there has to be something in there that says, I really, truly want to know the truth. Even if it's covered over with this attitude that I'm going to prove it wrong, there has to be something inside that says, yes, I know this is true. So with that being said, understand, understanding that, then I want us just to think about, and this is what I want to close with in the next few moments, but just, just to think about this. So if I've said yes to Jesus, I've turned my life over to Him. I understand His death and His resurrection. I've chosen to follow Him in my life. He's given me the Scriptures, inspired by God's Spirit, that have been transmitted throughout human history. That I have now today. How do I approach the Bible? How do I value the Bible? I, just think for a moment. Why don't you just think about this as we just talk about this? We just scratch the surface. But what has God gone through for thousands of years for us to have this today? Anything that has come from the hands of man throughout human history doesn't last very long, does it? There's stuff that happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago that we don't even know happened. You know why? Because there's no record of it anymore. Because everything of it, anything physical has gone. It's dust. But thousands and thousands of years and we still have this. This is crazy. This is miraculous. There is no ancient anything that has survived like the bible has survived and that's not by accident that's by god's design so if this is true and as we talked about last week that this thing it's 66 books are god breathed into us for us to understand and to live and to be transformed from the inside out then how do we handle the bible is it just a book that just kind of sits on the shelf and in most households we have like 10 of them right they sit there or we got it on our phone, but I never opened that app because I'm too busy. Or I'm like we talked about last week, I'm intimidated by it, I don't understand it, so I'll just let Pastor John talk about it. I'm we're good enough. But what does it represent? It represents God has sustained something for thousands of years, is it handed to a gift to us to interpret and understand and study and read and memorize why so that it begins to transform who we are. Nothing can do that except the Bible. So when you think about that in your own life, what is it that you need to help you to get to a place where you are engaging Scripture on a consistent basis? And we talked a little bit about this last week. There are a million different Bible reading plans, and there's, I'm not saying that anything is wrong with any of them, but sometimes if they become the norm for us, they become legalistic in their approach that we like, oh, i got to read my five chapters, otherwise I can't check off the box, otherwise God doesn't love me anymore and I feel guilty. Anybody want to admit you felt that way? I have. But you have to find a rhythm in your life where you say, okay, I'm going to come to the Scriptures, I'm going to engage them. And I've told you, for me, it's all over the map. It is. I used to like, do the Bible through the year through a year and read in a, in a life journal, which is a great concept, and, and do my devotions and stay in the reading plan. And after a while, I've got like five years of doing that. And I, I tell you, by the end of actually, honestly, year three, I'm like, there's, this, there's death in this to me. There's no life anymore. I'm just doing this because I feel like I have to. So for me, there's times where literally I will sit down and I will read an entire book of the Bible. And then other times, I can't get past three verses, And I'll have to stop. And I told I think I mentioned last week, I am stuck in Matthew 23 and have been that way for three weeks. I can't get out of it. It's driving me crazy. It is. It's about the seven woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees as religious leaders of his day. And I'm stuck in it because I know I don't want to be pharisaical in my leadership. And so I'm saying, God, that was the leaders of the church or the leaders of your people those many years ago. And this was their downfall. I don't want to be that way. So I keep going back and I keep studying more and I keep looking at it more and saying, God, is this what it means to be a good leader when that's not true of your life? And so I keep going back. In fact, I keep trying to move on. I think I'm like in woe number four and I can't get past it because literally I like wrote the heading in my journal for the next section and it's blank because I keep going back to the last woe. I keep going back and I keep going back. It's like, God, can I move on? No, you can't move on. I open my Bible. I'm like, I'm stuck there. I'm stuck there. Why? Because God wants to speak to me through the scriptures about my life. And I'm going to take as much time as as I need. I don't know what your schedule looks like. You may be a morning person. You have more time in the morning. Maybe it's on your lunch hour. Maybe it's in the evening. I've talked to so many people in our church who have have extended commutes. They commute for an hour or an hour and a half each way. And I've heard a lot of them say, you know what? I use that time not to listen to music or listen to talk radio and all the politics of the day. I just put on the Bible and I listen to it. And it's amazing how much time you find in your schedule if you commute. you got, you got a lot of people who ca- that kind of commute. They have between two and three hours a day. You can get through the Bible, and you can get through a lot. Or you can keep hitting replay, replay, replay if God says there's more there for you. And it's amazing. You can find that time, but you find a rhythm where you're engaging the Scriptures. Why? Because God sustained this thing for thousands of years and said, here's your gift. Now, something just before we close, just as a warning. We do not worship this this points to who we do worship. And we have to be careful because some people worship this and they've forgotten this is simply a sign that points to somebody greater than itself. We value it, we honor it, we study it, we read it, we digest it, but we worship Jesus. The author and the main plot line of this thing is Him and it points us to Him. So would you go ahead and just close your eyes. I want to pray for us because I know as we... Head into this week, we are creatures of habit. We are good at starting things, but not so good at sustaining and finishing things. And, and I know that what God wants for us is not something that we can do on our own, but it's something that God has to help us to do, and that is even engaging the scriptures. Lord Jesus, as we quiet ourselves before you, we know that our salvation is a dynamic transforming spiritual work deep within us that we cannot accomplish for ourselves Jesus it's through your death and your resurrection that we experience forgiveness for sin and we, f- we experience power over death and so Lord we know that those things are accomplished in a supernatural way but Lord when it comes to the Bible sometimes we forget that this, this thing you've given us is a supernatural book It's been sustained over thousands of years. It it was breathed by you into existence for for our, our use today. And so, Lord, for it to be applied to our lives, we know this has to be a supernatural thing. We need your ability, and we need your power for us to be faithful to it, to read it, to study it, to obey it, to understand in our human capacity. We can't do that on our own. So, Lord, I pray this week, that you would inspire us, that you would, in a sense, you would ruin our normal schedule. That, Lord, when we go through a day and we've forgotten for some time to do something to engage the scriptures, if it's reading it, studying it, listening to it, that, Lord, that you would remind us by your spirit. You would nudge us again and say, hey, take the next few minutes. Take some time tonight. Lord, that we would hear you, and the result would not be that we check a list or we feel good about ourselves because we got our Bible reading. But Lord Jesus, that when we opened the scriptures and we read what was there, that you spoke to us. You breathed through that text to our lives and to our hearts, and you spoke truth in us that transformed dynamically inside of us who we are because it was inspired by you. So Jesus, we know that you're the only one that can do that. So give us the courage, give us the discipline, give us the strength to engage the scriptures so that we might experience the life that you have for us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.